It's my prayer, it's my hope that we are a community of those who will jump up and move the stone when Jesus says to move it. Good evening, everyone. Before we begin, um, I know a lot of times we, we start messages. I know Brother Finney does. We, we say grace and peace to everyone. But I'd like everybody just to stand up and impart grace and peace to the people that are around you. <clears throat> and peace to each and every one of you here this evening. Uh, it's a blessing to see everyone's faces, and uh, I'm excited uh, for the opportunity this evening to, to share with you all. Uh, about a year ago, uh, Natasha and I had the opportunity. We went to Egypt, and uh, it was a tremendous opportunity. I would encourage anyone, if you have that opportunity, come before you take it. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing place to be in such an ancient land. Um, there's a lot of similarities in some ways to Kampala. It still is an African country after all. Um, so there's a lot of uh, similarities that, that resonated with us from our time in Kenya and, and Uganda just traveling there to, to Cairo. But as we landed, we collected our bags and we needed to uh, accomplish the mission of getting to the hotel. Um, so we, we get our bags and we're being bombarded with people who are offering to, to give us a ride, taxi drivers, and they're throwing out different prices, some high, some low, and it can just be a bit overwhelming. If you've never traveled out of the U.S. or traveled to a developing country, uh, things like that can be a little bit overwhelming. So thankfully, Natasha and I, having a little bit of experience under us, um, we, we knew what to do. It's called Uber. <laughs> so we opted for the easy route. Instead of Instead of uh, negotiating and, and bargaining, which is, I mean, that's just very common, especially in, in East Africa. I mean, you, you negotiate and bargain, as we say there, for, for just about everything. Um, so we didn't want to go that route, so we, we went for the, uh, the easy, steady, you know, we knew we could get where we needed to, and it would just give us the price, and we went for that option. So we get in the car, and uh, we begin pulling away, and as we're driving on the road, um, let's just say traffic in, in Cairo. I thought Kampala was bad. If you think Boston's bad, come to Kampala. If you think Kampala's bad, go to Cairo. Um, it's like a whole nother animal. It's, it's traffic on steroids there um, between the, just the, the honking and just the, the, the hand movements and, and people just all over the place. Um, it's actually exciting. It's, if, if, you're, um, if you're an extroverted person, you'll love it. Introverted, maybe not so much. But as we're driving, we, uh, we noticed that the traffic started kind of slowing down a little bit. And so Natasha and I kind of look at each other, and as the traffic is slowing, eventually it comes to a stop. And 
as we hear horns honking and we're starting to hear shouting and the noise is getting a little bit louder, all of a sudden people are getting out of their cars from behind us, people beside us, people in front of us, and we're like, what are we missing here? Like, what's going on? We're trying to kind of look around and see what's going on. Well, everyone is migrating to where the problem is. Some are standing there as bystanders, just yelling and screaming, wanting traffic to move on. Uh, others are, are there trying to actually help the situation. Uh, and ultimately, it was a car that was broke down. Now, eventually, they, they figured out some sort of a solution. What it was, I don't know. Uh, because we just stayed in the car. <laughs> we didn't get out. We, we figured, you know, we don't know the language. We don't really know the culture. Uh, we're just here as visitors. Uh, who knows what we can get into? Let's just play it safe. And so eventually, like I said, they, they resolve the issue and traffic again begins to move. So the point that I want to, to highlight out of that story is thinking about <clears throat> our Christian life in the community, in the body of Christ, and where do we fall? Like, think about if that situation happened in, in Boston or in Minneapolis or Toronto, I mean, any major city. I mean, typically our mindset is probably going to be, well, they probably have AAA or the police will come eventually and sort out the issue, or maybe they probably have a mechanic on the way. Like, we're just, we're kind of like in our own world. The, the likelihood of, of us pulling up to a situation and people getting out of their cars and starting to work on a vehicle in the middle of the road just is not a likely event in the U.S. as it is in a developing world. And I think there's, there's something, for, for better or for worse, I think there's something that we can learn from that in our uh, church life and our community life is that we don't want to become passive, passive observers of a distant drama, right? We don't want to just, there's something happening and we just become passive, passive observers of what's happening. Now that can become very common, right? I mean, we can just, well, here's another issue, here's another situation, but that's not who we are called to be in the body of Christ, in the community. Rather, we should be participants in a real and present place, responding in the moment. This is what God's covenant people are called to do again and again and again. And now at times throughout the scriptures, you know, they, 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 they kind of, they continue to walk away from that calling, that mandate, and that's why God sends prophets to once again call them back to covenant faithfulness, to remind them we're not supposed to be a people that are just standing on the sidelines observing these things that are happening, but actually responding in, to the real and present needs and situations that are in front of us, because that's what the gospel is supposed to be in our lives. And so where, where do you find yourself? Has the gospel impacted you in a way where you are trying to be what God has called us to be and respond in a real and present way to these situations? Or have we become spectators? I think all too, all too easy throughout Christianity, and, and, and I think that's the beauty of one of the things within our church, within our fellowship, you know, we are continuing to, to, to push and strive and to call each other higher. But many times for a lot of Christians, 
We can just become spectators standing on the sidelines looking at what's going on as opposed to responding to what's happening. I'd like to look over at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 through 25. The Hebrews writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you, Lord. We want to thank you for the gift of your body the gift of community and love and grace and peace and all that you impart to us, Father, and that we in turn get to impart to one another when we can come before you with boldness and true sincerity of heart and full assurance of faith, knowing that our hope is in you. Father, I just pray that you would be with us here this evening in this time. Father, help us not to fall into the trap of being spectators, but help us to continually be involved in a real and present way. It can be hard with so many distractions and the things in the world around us that, that can cause us to grow numb when there's need after need or when there's war after war or when there's just issue after issue. But Father, help us to always be attentive to each other and to truly be the body of Christ you've called us to be and to live in true community. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So what I would like to do in this message uh, is to continue to walk through uh, something that we've been doing the last several citywides, uh, back when Brother Finney shared, I think a couple months ago, uh, and then Brother Matthew shared. The, our hope and our goal as church planners is to be able to cast a vision for who we are as a church and to invite people to continue to engage in that vision and mission as a people. If you don't remember their messages, I strong, or if you didn't hear them, strongly, strongly would encourage you to go and listen to them. Brother Matthews was on how we derive and cultivate convictions individually and corporately as a people. It's a very powerful message. If you haven't heard it, go listen. Brother Finney also talked about how we can achieve the Acts 2 life, which is one of Acts 2 and Acts 4, some of my favorite passages, a beautiful glimpse into what a totally surrendered people can be. <clears throat> and he brought out five points. I hope we can recall them here. Um, before he got into his five points, one of the, the governing principles that he laid out was this concept of priority. It's hard to have priorities, plural. The original word was priority, and we really can only have one priority, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God. 
That's what Jesus tells us to do. And that's what scripture continually reminds us again and again and again. And so his five points, his first one was alignment with a strong group. Sacrifice. This is a very big biblical concept, a big principle. Sacrifice to gain. Leadership or leaders within the church. And then if you'll remember, he, he drew a fountain, uh, an illustration of a fountain, and that was talking about ordered health, going from personal, as the personal fills up and is, is engaged the way that it should be, it spills into family. As family fills up and is engaged the way that it should be, it spills into the church. And when the church is engaged and filled the way that she should be, then that overflows into the world, and we can be the vision of, the, uh, of God's kingdom on earth to the world around us. And then lastly was, lastly was gladness. The fifth point was, was gladness. Now I'm sure that it goes without saying that lack of clear vision leads to division. Lack of clear vision leads to division. And where there's not a common vision, people will go their own way. I'm sure that there are probably plenty of examples. I'm sure we could, we could spend some time just going around saying, can we hear some examples, and whether it's an organization or a group or a ministry or a church or something where there wasn't clarity in the vision and it caused pain and suffering or spiritual death or hurt. <clears throat> so lack of clear vision can lead to division. So as I mentioned, what I would like to do, I want to focus on bringing some definition to community. We can sometimes utilize a lot of these, these words, doing life together, community, and, and they can become a little bit like white noise because, honestly, you look across the spectrum. It's, I mean, people use the terminology and the words, but what does it actually mean and are we actually achieving it? That's what I hope to lay out this evening to give us some things to talk about in our own congregations. And as, as we talk about that as congregations, we can continue to talk and strive for that collectively as a people. So my message, I've, I've titled it as Engaging in Meaningful community, community. Engaging in Meaningful Community. And I hope to line out some of the distinctives that make us us, that make us who we are as followers of the way. What are some of those distinctives that set us apart of what we're striving to be in this world? As I mentioned earlier, there's this temptation to, to just drift into the sidelines like okay well I'm not really you know things are happening and there's enough people so let me just I'll just kind of exist I'll, I'll drift to the sidelines and I'll just I'll be a spectator you know I mean like the father's way there there there's stuff so it's new I, I kind, I'm really excited it looks interesting but let me keep a safe distance because I don't want to get involved in case it gets messy I don't want to I don't want to be in the middle of the mess that's not what Christ has called us to. I mean, Jesus, imagine if that was God's perspective. You know, it's a little too messy down there. I don't think I want to get involved with that. I'll just stand on the sidelines and just let it keep taking its course. No, Jesus, Jesus coming, the incarnation is Jesus stepping into the messiness of humanity and bringing the solution. And that's what he's calling us as a people to get involved in. He says, there's the mess, let's get into it. It's like 
being in the car, even though Natasha and I, we didn't know what was going on, but you know, it's being in the car and all of a sudden everybody's getting out. You're either standing there spectating or pointing or, or you're involved in the solution. And we believe that Jesus is the solution to the problem of humanity. Let's engage in that. A passive approach to community can lead, as I said earlier, to unnecessary pain, heartache, and spiritual death. We should develop a mindset of coming to intentionally invest in others. It's okay to, 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 to come to a gathering, to come to a teaching or a meeting, and, and come with a place of wanting to receive something, to have hands open waiting to receive from God or from a brother or sister or whatever might be in front of us as a, as a community. But we should be coming with an intentionality to truly invest in others. That's what he's called us to. The Hebrew writer mentions it here. He says, as we have confidence, some translations say, to boldly enter the holy place by a new and living way. And this living way is interactive. It's a pursuit of Jesus individually, and it's meant to be a corporate manifestation. One of the, the paradoxes of the gospel, I've heard someone put it this way, is that it's personal but not private. In other words, we, we individually have to choose to follow Jesus. Somebody else can't do that for me. I personally have to choose to follow Jesus. But when I do, it's not private. It's personal but not private. Jesus manifests the way of life and peace, and he does that where? In the midst of pain and suffering and death. The center of community should be Jesus himself. And our collective commitment to Jesus' way allows us to gain knowledge, power, and liberation so that we can progress in the virtues that manifest God's kingdom on earth. This, I believe, is the, the ideal. Like if we're saying what we're fixing our sight, our vision on the ideal, well, the ideal is how do we manifest God's kingdom on earth? Like that seems to be the goal. When, when God enters into the story of, of Israel and he wants to call them out of Egypt, he does so by with outstretched arms and a mighty hand and through mighty acts, he ends up delivering his people. He calls them unto himself and he wants to make of them a kingdom of priests, not a kingdom with priests. Now we, the story goes on and we get a kingdom with priests. It's because they failed, right? I mean, uh, not shortly after they're at the base of Mount Sinai and Moses is on the mountain, they begin to fashion their own calf and go their own way. And so they fall short of their calling, of, their, of the mandate of who they're supposed to be. And so instead of a, a kingdom of priests, now he has a kingdom with priests. But where Jesus, excuse me, where Israel has failed, Jesus has succeeded. And he's invited us to be that kingdom. The reason he wanted a kingdom of priests is because the, his covenant people were supposed to be heaven on earth, a return to the garden. 
a manifestation of his glory and his power and his authority and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and I know that that may seem a bit simplistic, but it's, it's literally the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal. And that's the ideal that we're striving towards. And the way that that can be accomplished is through our community. Like, it, as I said, it's, it's a private thing, but it, it's, a, it's a personal thing, but it's not meant to be private. It's a corporate manifestation of the way of life and peace that Jesus has brought to us in the midst of pain and suffering. I have a quote here. I know uh, Brother, Mi- Brother Finney had mentioned in, uh, in his message, if you haven't read it, the book uh, Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I actually have a few different quotes that I will pull this evening from that. It's, it's, it's a tremendous book. If you have time and opportunity, I would highly recommend it. Quote here says, The believer feels no shame as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for for the physical presence of other Christians. Like, can we honestly say that's our desire? To earnestly yearn for other Christians, for our brothers and our sisters. He goes on, Man was created a body, the Son of God, appeared on earth in the body, and he was raised in the body. In the sacrament, the believer receives the Lord Christ in the body, and the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's spiritual and physical creatures. The the believer, therefore, louds the Creator, the Redeemer, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of a brother. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of fellow Christians a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in lowliness, recognizing in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, in humility, in joy, They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy even in a single encounter of a brother with a brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Now, obviously, this is written during the time of World War II in Nazi Germany. I mean, thinking about what's happening there, it it very much so brings me to think of what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, the the ability, the blessedness of us to, to, to have what we've had today. I hope for most of you in here, this has been almost a complete day of fellowship with the saints. We've had an opportunity to share in a meal, to share our lives together, to break bread, to take of the Eucharist, to now come together for singing and prayer and teaching. Our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, especially right now in Ukraine, they don't have that. 
Do we take that for granted? And are we striving to hold it together? Going back to our passage in Hebrews there, I want to distill down just the the glimpse of community that we can gain from the Hebrew writer. He says, we are boldly to enter the holy place by the way that was opened through Jesus. And then we draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith. He's he's telling us that we should be pushing to the center. To draw near with true heart and full assurance. Are we pushing ourselves and others? Are we, are we moving towards the center? Or are we finding ourselves on the outside, moving more to the stands or to the line of, of spectator? Anchored by our confession of hope. So our confession of hope should anchor us and consider one another. So being attentive, intentionally attentive to one another's needs so that, as the King James says, we can provoke. I was looking into that word and it's that, that word that is used there is, is like the sense of irritation. Like when something irritates you, like if you have a, a really bad rash that itches or maybe you burn yourself, you know, like you burn your finger, you're cooking, like... As long as that, that, that burn is still there, it's throbbing, like you can't, it's, it's irritating, you wish it could go away, or that itch or rash, you wish it could go away, like it's just, it's, you, you have to do something about it. There's no way, you can't just ignore it, it's there. And that's the sense of what he's using here when he says that we are to be provoking, irritating each other to what? To love and good works. That's my job. That's your job. Okay, we, earlier we stood up and we imparted grace and peace to one another. Well, now <laughs> let's irritate one another to love and good works. Let's push and provoke one another to great things for God's kingdom because he's worth it. Not neglecting to meet together and exhorting one another. So the way that I'd like to lay this out, <clears throat> um, I'd like to give us a framework for us as followers of the way of how we can be striving to be what God has called us to be in community and how we can engage in meaningful community. And let's just put becoming Christ-like or being Christ-like, that's a given. So we're going to put that to the side and just say that is automatically uh, a given. We all should be striving for Christ-likeness And um, I want to lay out here uh, a framework to help us. So things that we should strive for as a community. And, and here, obviously, we're, it's community in the broader sense. We have community in our local congregations throughout Boston here. Um, but here now we are uh, a, a much larger community as the individual 
congregations have assembled ourselves together. But here's what we should be striving to be, relational, strategical, and intentional. So beginning with relational, we believe building healthy relationships in our communities is the foundation for creating and living in a better world. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So building healthy relationships within our communities, do unto other as you would have them do unto you. Simple yet complex, right? If anybody in here knows relationships, are they easy? No. No. <laughs> They're very messy, right? If we want true relation, I mean, if we, if we just want like a pseudo relationship where it's, it's surface level and we don't really want to dig into the hard and the deep things, then, then you know, yeah, that, that can be easy. But if we actually want true, meaningful, deep relationship, it can get a bit messy at times. But it's worth it. Jesus saw people and he doesn't seem to be bothered by them. If we find that we're, our interactions with people, we're, we're bothered by people because we just can't get stuff done, we might need to step back and think about our attitude towards others. I mean, I would hope, and, and I, I can definitely be guilty of that. I get, you know, I have a list of tasks, things I need to accomplish. Don't bother me right now. But I, knew, I know if I had an immediate situation, something that was maybe a crisis or just somebody to talk to, I would want someone to stop and, and to take the time to build the relationship or to, to help give me guidance or wisdom or whatever it is that I may need. And so if, if that's my hope, if that's my expectation, then shouldn't I extend that to others? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It makes me think of, uh, as I think about being relational, there's a story in the Gospels of, of Jesus and his disciples. They're coming into a town, and as they're traveling, uh, Jairus comes, and you know his son is sick, and he wants the master to come and to heal his son. And so they're traveling, and the, and the crowds are starting to gather, and, and they're bumping into each other. And all of a sudden, Jesus notices that there's some power that flows from him, and he even asks his disciples, who touched me? The disciples are like, um, <laughs> you're in a huge crowd. What do you mean who touched you? Jesus knew that there was someone who intentionally touched him, not just bumping into him, but to receive a healing. And it was the woman with a flow of blood. And so as Jesus is looking, she, she gets a bit fearful. And Jesus calls her daughter. How, more, how much more relational can you get than that? Is that our view of each other? When we use the terms brother and sister, are we just throwing them around? Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Or are they truly the context of a relationship that we are engaged in, that we are investing in each other's lives in a meaningful way? Everything that we do should be in the context of relationship or in the hope of cultivating relationship. <clears throat> Even when we think about evangelism, when we think about 
Um, I, at least in my experience, I have found that the, the most effective ways of doing evangelism is in the context of a relationship. And that's why we, we look at trying to, to create and develop fishing ponds, places where individuals in the church can deploy their giftings for the sake of reaching out and doing evangelistic work. It, evangelism in the context of relationship yields far more at least in my experience over the years. <clears throat> so the next is strategical or strategic. Life is filled with many distractions. Everybody agree with that statement? Don't have to. <laughs> Work, school, messaging, everything, right? Life is full of all kinds of distractions. And we believe it's important to keep focused on the ideal, and we talked a little bit about the ideal before, right? God's kingdom manifesting itself here on earth and continue, continually to seek a clear path forward. So we believe it's important to keep focused on the ideal, right? Seeking first the kingdom of God with a single vision and continually seeking a clear path forward. Philippians, Paul writes, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, striving forward to what lies ahead. I think we could probably say that Jesus himself was a strategist. Jesus took time to put a strategy in place. If we think about anything that's worth doing, uh, you know, whether I, I know most of us in here, we're not big sports people, but I mean, a, a team that has a strategy to win versus a team that just thinks they're going to do it based off of pure talent is probably, the one with pure talent probably isn't going to win, right? Strategy is going to win out. And we're talking about even just military and wars and, and uh, business. I mean, people, if anything is, if if something has value, if something is, is worth going after, people are going to be strategic in how they go about it, if they want to accomplish it, right? And Jesus himself, I think, is, is a great example of this. As he's sending out, if we, whether we think about him sending out the 12 or the 72, I mean, he's very specific in how he wants them to go out and to enter into a house and let that peace rest upon your house. And don't take this and don't take a money bag and don't take all these things. Like he's, he's, he has a purpose behind it. And he's thinking in strategic ways. Even thinking about the creation and rebellion story. God had a strategy in place already in the midst of the chaos that was beginning as sin and death enter into the into, um into the creation, but there was still a strategy in place where there was going to be a seed of the woman that was going to rise up and crush the serpent's head. I don't think, I don't think Satan at that point was thinking, hmm, I wonder when Jesus is going to die on the cross. Like he, he didn't know God is a master at strategy, and so should we be as people. And now when, when I talk about strategy, it's, about, it's talking about putting a plan in place. Lee Bowman says, to quote from him, a vision without a strategy remains an illusion. A vision 
without a strategy remains an illusion. We have a vision. We have a calling by Jesus himself. And he's given us the tools and the resources and the people and the relationships that we need to collectively put a strategy together to be all that God intends us to be. <clears throat> now, a strategy or having a plan in place is nothing if you're not intentional about it. So think about the strategy as the plan. Think about intentional as the execution of the plan. Going out and doing it, right? Following the way of life is difficult. It takes intentionality to live it out. Putting knowledge into practice is the key to changing the world. Ideas are great, but if we don't put them into practice, they're just ideas. We see this very clearly Matthew, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. James talks about not just being hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. We have to be intentional to execute the strategy that we've put in place as a people. That means being intentional in our relationships in the church and out of the church, our interactions on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that be at school or work or the, maybe even the store or wh whatever your day-to-day -day life looks like, whatever, whoever you happen to run into, making the most of each of those opportunities that are put in front of you to be intentional in those moments, in those times. <clears throat> so individually and collectively, my desire is that we are striving for these things, what we're striving to be at Followers of the Way. I hope that we can be marked by being relational, strategical, and intentional. Now, I'm not going to, I've, I've spent just a little bit of time giving this definition. It's not actually the focus of what I'm, I'm going to be um, looking at here right now. But my hope is that within our congregations, that we, these are conversations that we can be having because it's going to look different. D diversity is not a bad thing. If, if we look at creation, there's no one tree that's like another tree, right? You look at all the leaves, different shapes and colors and sizes, and like, like God loves diversity. And we can have unity and harmony within diversity. Look at creation once again, right? That's a picture of what that is. And so my hope is to begin to stir conversations within our individual groups and congregations, and then we can have these larger conversations as a, as a larger, in, in the context of a larger con conversation, but of how we can be relational, strategical, and intentional as a people. <clears throat> and it's, it's not easy. It, it takes prayer. It takes commitment. But I've seen it work. I've seen it work there in Kampala. It, it, it takes time and effort and tears and sweat and labor, but it's worth it. And so Uganda is not going to look the same as Toronto. Toronto is not going to look the same as uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis isn't going to look the same as, as Boston. 
East Boston may not look the same as Bartlett. Bartlett may not look the same as, as Medford, but that's the beauty of it. Because we can all come together with a common vision and a diversity of giftings to accomplish that. And that's how God, I mean, Paul gives us the pictures and the analogies, the illustrations of a body for, for a reason. So that the foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We all have diversities of gifts and need each other. Now, Jesus himself believed in the church. He believed that it was worth it, so much so that he did it at the cost of his own life. Like he laid his life down to purchase a people and birth the church. Do we have that love for the church? Once again, going back to this concept, and, and people can take it way too far about the gospel being personal, and it's all about my personal salvation. No, that's, that's, that's not what it's about. You do individually, personally have to make a choice, but your choice is to step in to a common salvation. <clears throat> so what are you willing to give up, or what are you not willing to give up? What is holding all of us, what is holding you back from engaging into a fuller expression of God's kingdom on earth? Maybe even tonight, as you go to, if you're going back with your congregation or if you're going to different people's homes, that might be a great question to, to think about and meditate on and to, to start discussing. You know, what, what's holding me back from engaging more fully in God's kingdom, right here, right now. What am I, what is, am, I, am I distracted? Am I passively stepping back from a distance and observing the drama unfold? Or am I actively engaging in the present time, here and now, in the ways that God wants me to? Another quote here from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that our congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, scattered, lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. Is that our perspective? Do we view visible fellowship as a blessing or do we sometimes look at it as a burden? <clears throat> So I want to put forth, we talked about what we are striving to be. <clears throat> I want to put forth three distinctives that call us not to be passive observers, but rather to allow us to engage in meaningful community and to be participants in the real and present place. And I want to do that with these three distinctives. And those distinctives are agape, corporate gatherings, and Christiformity, and I'm going to define each of those. <clears throat> I'll write them down here. 
So I'm actually going to start with the last one first. So Cristoformi, this is also known as, uh, or it's been called historically LDG. Um, one of the hopes that we have as, we, as we're talking about, as Finney had mentioned even in his message, is you know, wanting to clarify and lay the vision. And, and terms and words are important. Um, and they can help, they can by themselves, depending on the word you choose, they can, they can bring automatic definition into something. So hopefully in the word Christoformity, something is, is coming out, right? The formation into Christ. Um, and so that's what the Christoformity groups or our, uh, as I said, leadership development previously, our LDGs, uh, the goal is that in these groups, as we gather together as brothers and as sisters, that we are striving to form one another into Christ. So the, the, the word in itself is not only a call to me individually that I am wanting to be shaped into the image of Christ, but that I'm also coming into this group wanting to shape my brother or the sisters coming in with the sisters to shape one another into the image of Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So transformation and character is made possible when we are willing to be open and to be honest. And when we're willing to, to direct our attention to the, the, the issues in each other's lives. This is one of the ways that we can be intentional about investing and be atten attentive to one another's needs. Now... I know for some, I've had conversations with people, the, 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 the lines between your LDG or your Christoformity and agape, they can sometimes get a little bit fuzzy, but they are distinct from one another. And our Christoformity groups are not meant to be a substitute by any means for the agape. And I've reserved specifically talking about the agape um, <laughs> lastly. So our Christoformity groups are designed as a place to share life stories. This is where we come and we can... We can share in each other's stories and be able to speak into each other in a, in, a, in a meaningful way, a place to hear each other and to realize you're not alone. We have each other. We've been created to, to do life together. That's, that is something God has intended. When, when God put man, he saw that he didn't have woman and, and that was not good. It was good for man to have another. It's a place where you can be honest uh, with yourself and with others and be grounded in reality and, and gain freedom, clarity, and motivation in life. It's an opportunity where we can celebrate our strengths and be able to set goals as brothers and sisters <clears throat> to keep striving towards the ideal. And as I mentioned, sometimes those, those lines can be uh, a little bit fuzzy between Christoformity and agape. What do I share there and how is that different from what I share over here? But once again, it's not, it is not supposed to be a substitute for what the agape is or is supposed to be. <clears throat> four areas, and I think these four areas map very well. If Once again, uh, recall into your mind that the, the image that Finney gave with uh, the fountain as you think about personal, family, church, and the world. 
And we've used a very similar structure in our Christoformity groups in talking about um, the heart, the home, the church, and community. So how are things, when we come together, like thinking, evaluating in those four categories, how am I in my heart? Like inwardly, how am I doing? And being open and vulnerable with that. How are things in the home? Now maybe for some of you, you're not fathers or mothers or husbands or wives, but I know a lot of you have, have roommates. <laughs> you have a place that you're, people you're living with and, and rubbing elbows with. And so how are things? Are you modeling Christ to them in your relationships? <clears throat> and then in the church, is there anything that a brother has against me or I have against a brother or a sister against what, any? Is there anything that anyone has against me? And, or can I, can I say that I'm, I'm clear and I believe everyone else is clear. Is, is there something, you know, because remember, at the, uh, by the time we get to the agape, if you get there and remember your brother has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Leave the gift at the altar, go, and be reconciled. So that's, that's, this is almost like a, in some ways you could look at that as a, as a great opportunity in starting to prepare your heart for what you're going to be sharing when you come into your time of agape on, on the Lord's Day. <clears throat> so in the heart, in the home, in the church, and then we've used uh, the term community. What we meant in that sense is, is the same sense of what Brother Finney shared as the world. The people around us, not necessarily the church community or, or our initial community, but more so the community of humanity around us. Are we being the image of Christ to them? And, what, and, if, and if we're not, what is it that's keeping me from displaying that image to the human community around me? Now, when we get to our <clears throat> corporate gatherings, this is both formal and informal. Both formal and informal. So obviously our formal gatherings, we have our midweek gatherings, our structured, we have our Lord's Day gatherings and, and how... Uh, we structure those, um, but even just the informal ones, the times where we spontaneously get together, or hey, let's plan this event, let's, let's have a prayer night, let's have a time where we, we do a sing night, or whatever the case may be. So both formal and informal. Unity in the spirit requires common worship around a common ideal. Life can become distracting and confusing at times, but when we consistently come together in remembrance and in agreement on what unites us, we grow stronger. So when we continue to gather together, when we continue to assemble around what the ideal is to be God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and we can begin to create a common language, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things when you go to a foreign land, you very quickly know that <laughs> You don't share a common language and you become, you feel estranged and you feel like and it's not until you begin to learn maybe some words and phrases and, and terms that all of a sudden you start to have connection. And sadly, that can happen in the church many times. We can use terms and terminology and phrases and yeah, they may be in, in our mother tongue, but they might be loaded terms and phrases that mean something totally different from this group to this group. And the, the, one of the functions of the corporate gathering is to begin to build a common language of what we mean with certain things. 
like when we say agape, you know? For, for us in our group, we automatically, I think, all of our minds go to what happened on the Lord's Day when we share in a meal, when we, we go around sharing our burdens and confessing and talking and then breaking the bread and taking of the wine. But for a lot of other churches or groups, you say agape, and that picture won't at all come into their mind. So this is the place where we can begin to build that common language around the ideal and begin to bring some definition so that we can succeed in our calling. So that common language around belief and practice and then continuing to set our sight on the kingdom. I think the, uh, the Hebrew writer also reminds the church to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That seems to be a mark of of the early communities there is a reminder and a continual calling to assemble for the saints to gather together. Acts, you can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to read from Acts 2. Um, as I mentioned, I would encourage you strongly to go and listen to Brother, Finney, Brother Finney's message on this. Um, but Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, I think this is, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, a lot of things are, are laid out there. We have principles and patterns within the New Testament, and we need, to, we need to take them, and we need to give them some definition and application in our 21st century. We need to say, how can we apply these things in our day, in our age? Um, but we don't have to go around necessarily reinventing the wheel. So as we think about our corporate gatherings and how we structure Acts 2 gives us a great framework. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, if you remember from that message I mentioned, this is not communism, as Finney said. The difference is... Instead of saying what's mine is thine, it's what, uh, it's saying what's, sorry, what's thine is mine, it's saying what's mine is thine. In other words, instead of this concept of taking, taking, what I have is here before you to share, to meet the needs of others. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and, belo- and belonging and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the markers of a vibrant community. That's what we should be striving for. Another quote from Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God, that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians Praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, It's grace, nothing but grace. 
that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So as I mentioned, our Christiformities and our corporate gatherings, both formal and informal, brings us to one of the last markers or critical actions. I think you could even call these each critical action points. Like in other words, what does it mean to actually be a member or to be a part of this church body? Means participation in each of these. Participation, not, not passive, actual participation in Christiformities and corporate gatherings and in the agape. And in, uh, the agape is shared reflections as we center on not just the story, but the person of Jesus, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and the ascension, as we center ourselves around the person of Jesus and all that he has accomplished. Our agape are times that we share a meal together, right? We come together, we are, we are bringing a meal and we're sharing one with another, sitting around as a family would sit down to discuss our life. We reflect on our own lives, we confess sin, and we share how we're doing spiritually. I hope this is how our agape times are going. If they're not, you might need to make some revisions. It's a time where we can come and be open with one another. And then we conclude by collectively partaking of the broken body of the blood of Jesus being the bread and the wine, and which is giving us power to endure the suffering necessary to live a life committed to virtue. That's what agape is. It's the time we come together as a family, to share as a family, to be open as a family, to confess and to allow the grace of the sacrament of the Eucharist to actually have power and hold in our life. And that's something that we do individually and collectively, right? It's not just communion, uh, the Eucharist is not just a, a me and God transaction. It's a communal transaction. It's, it's something we are all participating in Members individually, but members collectively. This should be the centerpiece of our Lord's Day. Like, this is why we actually are coming together. Like, the, the citywides, or if, you were back at our, if we were back at our congregations, having a, a time of teaching and, and singing and fellowship, those are all wonderful and great things, and I think they should be um, they, they should be staples, things that we, we definitely do not neglect. But the centerpiece and the, the thrust of why we're gathering on the Lord's Day is agape. It's to take the Eucharist. Like that, everything else is just bonus. <laughs> the fellowship and the, and the good times together and the, and the great teaching that, that a brother brings and the singing and the prayer and all that is, is wonderful and part of our vital spiritual life. It's vital to our spiritual life, but it's the bonus, the center, 
is participating in the story of Jesus and the breaking of the bread. There is a, <clears throat> a story I want to I share here. Once again, I'm not a, uh, a sports person, but there's this story of a, of a man from the 1930s. His name was Dizzy Dean. <laughs> and Dizzy Dean, he was a Hall of Fame baseball player, uh, a pitcher specifically. Um, his career pe- peaked in the 1930s. Dean won 30 games <clears throat> that year in his 1934 season an outstanding feat that has been repeated only one other time in baseball history. In 1937, at one of the All-Star Games, he took a hard line drive to his toe, and the toe was broken. Now, Dizzy Dean was not happy about this, his toe being broken, but he knew he had to continue and just push on. It should not have been a career-ending injury, but Dean was rushed back into the lineup before the fracture was completely healed, and he pitched several games favoring the sore toe. Now, because he had the injured toe and stepped back into the game, it caused him to change his body slightly to compensate for the injury, and because he shifted his body slightly, it changed the way in which he normally would pitch the ball. Well, this then led to a serious injury on his arm. The arm never fully recovered. Dizzy Dean's major league career was essentially over in four years. I hope you see the reality in that for us as the church to take the time that we need when we have issues. And that's another piece of what agape is. It's not just a time to come and rush and okay, we gotta, hey, let's go guys, we gotta get through this. Okay, let's look at the clock. And I know that we have, sometimes there is a little bit of a, of a schedule to keep because a oh, meeting is starting at this time. And I, and I understand that we have to navigate that as best we can in our congregations. But sometimes, When there's an injury, you can't just rush through because what's going to happen? For Dizzy Dean, a simple toe injury, I mean, think about for, I mean, out out of the whole body, a toe, I've stubbed my toe before and it seems like you don't realize how important toes are until you stub them. However... I mean, but it's so small, like in, in, the, in the context of the entire body, like a toe is such a small thing, right? And for, for Dizzy Dean as a, as a baseball player, ah, it's just a toe, it's no problem. Wrap it up, it'll be fine. Well, unknowingly, he ends up compensating. And what does he do? Well, that causes a, a further injury in his arm and ultimately ends his career. How much more important is that lesson in the church? to take the the vital time that's needed. When someone's hurting, when someone's suffering, when someone's crying, when somebody's going through something, maybe we just need to stop and wait on one another. Maybe we need to take time and heal. Paul says, when he gives us in 1 Corinthians 12, when he gives us a picture of the body, he says uh, in verse uh, 25, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, 
all rejoice together. That should be our mindset in the agape. If my sister is suffering, let me suffer with her. If my brother is suffering, let me suffer with him. If my brother's rejoicing, let's rejoice together. If my sister, right, this should be our mindset. <clears throat> These are times where God can, can, can bring his grace into, into the body, where we can actually bring the healing and take the time that we need. It's not meant to be something that is just rushed through for the sake of getting through it so we can get to the, the breaking of the bread and the wine. I mean, that is the pinnacle. That's the important part, but, but not until we've examined ourselves, not until we've been able to actually work through whatever might need to be worked through. <laughs> and I know this can be hard because in our day and age, we live in a society that runs on sound bites and memes. And the art of conversation is quickly dwindling. And the skill of listening is dwindling with it. But I think the church should be not only maintaining, but promoting the art of conversation and the skill of listening, because that's how we can connect relationally with one another. I have one other illustration. I was unsure if I was going to use it or not. <clears throat> But I, I really, I, I think it's a powerful one as we look at creation, as we think about, about what God has put into motion. And, and if, if I'm not a beekeeper by any means, but if you've ever studied bees, bees are fascinating. And it's interesting to think about, well, what do bees do in the, in the winter when it's freezing? Well, what bees do in the winter is they center, they, they create this, this, um, this core around the queen. Okay, so the queen is at the center of the colony, of the community. And they have to, the, the, the struggle is they got to try to keep somewhat consistent temperatures. And the temperature at the core can be a little bit different than the one on the outside. But they have to keep the colony alive by not freezing. And the way that they achieve this is they keep moving. They flap their wings, they move around, and they, they go in these circles. And and at various times, the outer will go to the inner, and the inner will go to the outer, and it's like this circulation to try to keep the community and keep the colony alive as they're centered around that core being their queen. Well, if we think about that in the church, like, like we're centering around King Jesus. And, and if we become, what happens to, to the bee in the colony that says, hey, I'm taking a day off, I'm just going to... Stay on the, on the sideline over here. That's probably not, I don't know what the time will be, but it's going to be a frozen bee. It's going to die. But the ones that continue to move and, and move into the center and then move on the out and let others move into the center and, and keeping that circulation, that's what allows life to continue to flourish and happen, happen so that they can make it through that winter season, whatever that rough season may be. How much more so for the church when we have our rough and, and, and hard seasons and whatever we may be going through, are we continuing to center around King Jesus and his teachings and continuing to come center and allow others to come center? And, and are we looking to keep moving and moving or are we finding ourselves on the outside? 
In John chapter 11, in closing, John chapter 11 is, is a tremendous and powerful story of, uh, of the, the resurrection of Lazarus. And this is where Jesus and his followers are, are a few days uh, out or a few days away from uh, where this event is happening, but they call for Jesus to come. And by the time that Jesus comes, Lazarus is dead. And now there's, there seems to be many people around, many Jews, many spectators. And some of these Jews see this miracle of Jesus, where Jesus, this is where Jesus says to his, to his followers there that he is the resurrection and the life. And as Jesus tells them to move the stone, we don't know who, they jump up and they, they move, to move the stone and out walks Lazarus. Well, there seems to be in that story a few different categories of people because we, we see that the story indicates that there's some Jews who went quickly to the Pharisees so that they basically could accuse Jesus and, and begin to plot on how they can stop this dangerous threat. There's others who are just bystanders standing there watching. And then there's those who jump up to roll the stone away because Jesus said to move the stone. It's my prayer, it's my hope that we are a community of those who will jump up and move the stone when Jesus says to move it. So to recap, we are striving to be relational, strategical, and intentional within our communities. And the way that we engage in that in a meaningful way is through our agape, through participation in our corporate gatherings, and through our time of Christiformity groups. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you again and thank you, Lord, for your body. We thank you for your love and your mercy that you have demonstrated to us in the person of Christ. Father, I pray that we can truly embrace all that you have for us as we want to be those who quickly jump up when, when Jesus says to move the stone, that we would be those who without question would jump up and move the stone because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I, I thank you that you have brought us in as brothers and sisters into a body, into a community, and I pray that we can continue to press into all that you have for us, that we can truly represent your son Jesus, that we can truly be a manifestation of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.